the way it is. My name's Matt. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. Hey, one out of two, that ain't bad, is it? And um, it's my privilege to get to speak to you today. Um, This morning, we're going to talk about boundaries. We're going to talk about who is in and who is out Uh, how we draw the line. But before we get there, let me back up just a little bit. We're working through a letter in the Bible called Galatians, and it's written unsurprisingly to a group of people called the Galatians, which is kind of exactly what you'd expect. Uh, It's a set of churches that were started by the letter's author. um, And uh, Paul, he's writing because there is uh, trouble in Galatia. They're turning to a different gospel, which he says is really no gospel at all. Ugh, one out of two. There you go. It might come back later. Um, we read a few weeks back that they're in danger of losing the message that the Apostle Paul brought to them. And uh, the, that was the good news that he started the churches with. So he writes to defend the truth of the message. So he defends himself first as a trustworthy messenger. He tells us, I used to be a persecutor of the gospel message. Now I'm a preacher of the gospel message. Um, He tells us how he got the message from Jesus himself. He tells us how when he checked in with the bigwigs in Jerusalem, they didn't add anything to it. They didn't change his message. They were pleased with his message. Instead, they gave him the seal of approval. Um, So far, so good. The next passage, the one we're looking at this week, he tells us how things started to go wrong. Um, Just like we found each week, As we look closely at what the Bible has to say to us, uh, we'll see again, it's not just like chatter about stuff that happened 2,000 years ago that we really don't care about, doesn't matter to us. Uh, Instead, we find we're challenged by what we read. It's got timeless lessons about God and timeless lessons about us, his people. So we're going to read together about what happens next. Laura's going to come and read to us this morning. And we're in the little book of Galatians in chapter 2, starting at verse 11. And it will be handy for you to have the passage in front of you as we explore it together, but it's not always easy to find Galatians. So if you've got one of our blue church Bibles, look for page 1169. Page 1169. It's not, Laura. It's L. Well, you know, I'm so glad L has come to read to us this morning because that'll be great. Page 1169, Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 11. And just so you know... (laughs) I'm going to let you go in the end, aren't I? But just so you know, um, before we read, the name Cephas, which shows up here, is just uh, Peter in another language, okay? So, over to you this time, for real. (laughs) Elf! Okay, so when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Kephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We, who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know what a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may, we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Thanks very much, Al. So what's going on here? 
Paul's a bit of a feisty chap, right? Make no mistake. But to go head to head with Peter, that's um, Cephas is Peter in Aramaic. To go to head to head, toe to toe with one of the 12 bigwigs, with um, the apostle Peter, with the on this rock I will build my church. Peter, the, the, the big cheese, the numero uno, the head honcho. That is, it's quite something. Uh, especially after Peter just shook your hand in Jerusalem. So there's got to be something pretty serious going on here, right? But how could the event we just read about actually be that significant? Jewish Peter is sharing meals with Gentiles. That's non-Jews, right? And then he stops sharing meals with Gentiles, these non-Jews. Like, can we just get a grip, please, Paul? It's really not that big an issue, is it? Right? It's just dinner, Why does that matter so much? Well, there's a bit of background you need to make sense of this. And uh, back then, good Jews didn't eat with Gentiles, not at all. Uh, It was like a red line. It was part of the deal of being Jewish, Um, keeping yourself separate. They had lots of special rules about how eating was meant to happen. And the impact of those special rules about how they could eat and what they could eat was to keep them separated from all the um, people who didn't follow the Jewish law, from all these Gentiles. Um, So men eating was one of the key places they ended up separate. And Peter's had a big lecture from God about this on this very topic. Uh, He had visions and all sorts of things. He's been told in no uncertain terms that he should not have an issue eating with Gentiles. He should chill. He should be cool with this. You can read about this in Acts chapter 10 where Peter says this right to these Gentiles. He says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. But God has shown me... I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So we, we, we shouldn't be at all surprised when the curtain rises on the scene we're looking at today and Peter is eating with the Gentiles because God told him to. God said, do this, it's fine. Even though it was a big Jewish no-no, God had told him what to do. But at the same time, we can understand why the other guys who show up, these uh, certain men from James, well, when they show up, things change because deeply embedded patterns of life don't die easily. Like if you know Peter's story from Acts chapter 10, you'll know Peter did not find this an easy thing to get over himself, right? Uh, So it's not surprising that people who didn't see three visions from heaven in a row and then have the Holy Spirit speak to them have a bit of a struggle getting over this particular thing, this pattern of everyday life that has defined them for generations and generations. It's like treasured family traditions and somebody comes in one day and says, look, just leave it. Don't worry about that anymore. So you might think then, well, Peter withdrawing from the Gentiles when these other Jews from from James show up, maybe that's just him being gentle, figuring they're going to take some time to come around because this is a, it's a big deal. Yeah, maybe, but there's more here. Did you notice while we were reading there in verse 12, we're told why Peter changes his tune, right? It's because he was afraid of those who uh, belonged to the circumcision group. That's these traditionalists, these ones who want to hold on to the Jewish way of life and the patterns that defines Jews as a people. He's afraid of them. But here's the thing we've got to have in our minds as we work through this passage together today. He's afraid of them, but he doesn't actually think it's a problem to eat with the Gentiles. He really doesn't think that's an actual factual issue. Notice when he separates from the Gentiles, it's described as hypocrisy, right? The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. It was hypocrisy from his point of view. That, that word, that is a word drawn from the world of the theater. And it means pretending, 
It means play acting. So Peter is just acting like I shouldn't eat with these Gentiles. It's not that he really believes it. He's just putting on a show. The other Jews joined him in that hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy even led Barnabas astray. Paul's big problem here is what Peter's play acting is saying, what it's doing to others. See, people read what we do. You know that, right? Whether we like it or not, actions speak louder than words is the way we would often talk about that. Paul wants Peter to stop and think, what are your actions communicating? What is this doing to the Gentile Christians at Antioch when, when you withdraw from their meal table? And, and what it's doing is, is set out for us there in verse 14. It is effectively forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. How come? Well, if they want to eat with Peter, the main man, right, and the big cheese, then they're going to have to take the plunge and go full Jewish. Share a meal, he says. Share the deal, effectively. And there's something I hadn't thought about before I studied this passage uh, over the last couple of weeks. It wasn't just meals that are off the table. It's communion that's going to be off the table here. Now, communion is this practice that Jesus starts for his disciples. It will be called the last supper, the last meal he had with them, where he teaches them, remember my body given, remember my blood poured out on the cross, remember that using bread and wine. And he teaches them as a part of a meal. See, we're pretty certain people in these days, when they shared communion together, they, they did it in homes because they didn't have church buildings, right? And, and they did it as part of a meal. Peter's withdrawal means no communion unless you go full Jewish, right? Peter has, we might say, excommunicated every Gentile in Antioch, which is quite a big deal. At least what he's doing is creating two churches, two separate church families who can't really, really meet together. There's a Jewish one and a Gentile one. If they can't share a table, right? So that's pretty big. It's not just whether Jews and Gentiles can share a meal. It's whether they're really part of the same church in the first place. The problem, as Paul puts it, is that Peter is not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, Peter is just play acting. He's just pretending that he can't eat with these Gentiles. But that is in danger of undermining the truth of the gospel. This, this key message of the grace of God to us in Jesus. So he's got to be confronted. You are forcing all these Gentiles to follow Jewish customs, Peter. But we know, we know, Peter, that doesn't really matter. Verses 15 and 16 here. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ so we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Summary statement, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And these works of the law, that is kind of keeping these Jewish patterns of life, like eating separately and things like that. This is the truth of the gospel, as Paul puts it. This is the heart of the good news of Jesus is on show. And it's about how we are justified, which is a big Christian-y word, right? Um, that's got a bit of a different sense in the Bible to how we would tend to use it now. So what I want to do is just take a moment to unpack what he means when he says we're not justified by works of the law, but we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? Today, most of the time, when we use justified, we mean there's a good enough excuse that I could do something that otherwise would be wrong. 
like speeding to the hospital, right? The police pull you over speeding to the hospital. You say, I was justified in speeding to the hospital because my wife is having a baby. I was justified in falling asleep in today's talk. Yes, you can. Because it was really boring and it went on super long. Or I I, I was justified in hitting my sister because she was really annoying today. Right? So we use the word justified to say there's a good enough excuse for me to do something that's ordinarily wrong. But that's not what the word means here. Uh, It's not like we're in the wrong, but we've got a good excuse, right? Here's how the Bible uses the word. Imagine for yourself, um, imagine you're accused of something in a court, right? There are only two ways it can end. On the one hand, the judge can bang his gavel down and say, guilty, you're found in the wrong. You're condemned. On the other hand, he can bang his hammer down and say, innocent, you're found to be in the right, or you are justified. Like, that's what justified means. It's just the opposite to guilty. It's the opposite outcome in a trial. That's what this is all about. When the curtain goes down, when the bucket's kicked, when the show is over, when we find ourselves standing before God as our judge, and he evaluates our lives, he weighs us up, there's only two ways it's going to go. He's either going to say, we don't measure up, we failed, and we're condemned. Or he's going to declare we are justified. We're in the right with him. And the gospel is all about how that verdict, we're in the right with God, can be ours. And the good news is we are not justified by things we do, right? A person is not justified by the works of the law. That's kind of the Jewish way of life. But that statement equally applies to any other act that belongs to us that we think might make us in the right with God not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. No one's going to be justified by trying to follow these Jewish rules that keep them holy and set apart, says the Apostle Paul. That's what he says. There are any number of other things we put in the place of the law today and act like we've got to do that every day to be in the right with God. Do you need to pray every day and read your Bible to be in the right with God? Right? Do you have to help old ladies across the road to be in the right with God? Do you have to be at least a generally decent bloke to be in the right with God? But works don't work. That's kind of the fundamental thing here. Works don't work. It's never going to see God rule in our favor on the last day. Instead, the only way we're going to be justified in the end is by faith in Jesus Christ, by believing he is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did. So he died in our place and we don't have to. He rose to new life so we can be renewed as well. That, that's what's going to see us justified. What's going to put us in the right with God. Not anything we've done or, or, or might do. Luther, famous reformer from the 1500s, says, this is a message we need to bang into our heads continually. Because it's so easy for us to start putting something else there instead. Start looking back to what we do for justification instead of looking forward to what Jesus does. So I want to press pause for a moment and ask the question, do we actually believe this? Now, imagine that last day, right? Imagine you are standing there before God. You're being weighed up. I imagine you're there right now. What are you thinking in your mind? What is going to come out in the courtroom against you? How are you going to clear your name? What witnesses will you be presenting that you're in the right and that you're innocent? 
Who are you going to call to make your case and say, do you know what, God? You should be all right with this person. Now, the gospel tells us that our only hope of justification on the last day is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you have that, you've got all you need, case closed. If you don't have that, you've got nothing at all. Nothing else will work. You've got zero reason for hope. Your case is only going to go one way because like we read right here, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. There's no work. Nobody is going to do it well enough. Think about that scene being weighed up. Where is your hope? If you've never done it before, make today be the day you put your hope and your trust in Jesus, in what he's done and not in what you do or what you're trying to do. You can do that right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a super short prayer up here that you could use, give you a moment to look it through, and then I'll pray. And if you're ready, you can pray with me inside your head um, quietly. You can pray silently. Let me pray. Because this is true for me too. Jesus, I haven't lived right. I know I can't fix it myself. I want to put my faith and trust in what you've done instead. As best as I know how, I give you my life. Please justify me. Forgive me my wrongs. Please renew me. Come and live within me. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, you will be justified in Christ. So tell someone. If you're on the live stream, there's a button you can click to raise your hand so that other people can see you've prayed. They won't know who you are, just that you raised your hand. And then if you want, you can click to pray with someone. If you're with us in person, tell somebody. Tell a friend. Uh, If you don't want to tell somebody else, you can tell me. Um, But we want to help you press on into that new life that's now yours. It like happens in a moment just like that. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul is fighting for here. That's what's so important to him. He'll go toe-to-toe with the apostle Peter. That's why there's hope in the word hope city. A person is not justified by works of the law. We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the crazy thing about today's passage. Paul knows this is true. And so does Peter. Peter knows this is true. Peter, who he's arguing with. See how these verses are all we's, all the way through. right? We, who are Jews by birth, we know this. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus. We might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Peter and Paul both agree that this is the story. This is the gospel truth. They both agree that all this eating with or not eating with stuff is never going to work. The big problem is the way Peter's acting. And the way he's acting, separating himself from these Gentiles, his actions are speaking and they're telling another story. He's undermining the truth of the gospel, which he speaks, which he believes, but his actions undermine it. He's afraid of people, the respectable, perhaps educated, maybe powerful people of this circumcision group. He's afraid of them. Now, you might be thinking, that's fascinating. That's 2,000 years ago, whatever. Well, let me tell you that this actually has some relevance to us today. Let me show you where we find this in our world. I'll show you what it's like. Uh, If you've been around churches, you know we have different ways of doing things, right? We have different understandings 
different views on issues. Some churches only sing upbeat, modern-sounding stuff. Other churches only sing ancient, hymn-type stuff. Some churches uh, expect a supernatural every single week. Other churches would be shocked if anything happened that wasn't precisely the same routine as the week before. Some churches um, baptize babies. Other churches don't. How do you treat, how do we treat churches with different ideas to us? How do we treat believers with different ideas to us? If it's, I'm right, you're wrong. If it's my way or the highway, then we're immediately in danger of acting like that circumcision group of demanding there is something other than faith in Jesus Christ that is really, really required to be in the right with God, to be justified. God is only going to approve of us because we get everything right and do everything in the right way. All those other churches, he's going to give thumbs down for them. Then you're saying the way we do things is fundamentally a question of justification. Now, sure, I I do have my opinions and, and I know you have your opinions too. I've thought hard about a bunch of these things and I hope you have as well. As a church, we have things we do differently to other churches. Sometimes we do that because we think it lines up better with what's in the Bible. Other times we do things differently to other churches because we think it's a better idea using our human intelligence and thinking. We can and should think about and talk about places where we don't agree with everyone else. But the moment we start declaring others out when we're in, right? When we declare others really The way you're doing that is just, it stinks, and you're wrong with God because of that. As soon as we do something like that, we're saying we're on the same path as this circumcision party. We're saying there is more than faith in Jesus Christ required to be justified. There are other boxes you've got to tick. We're not acting, Paul would say, in line with the truth of the gospel. Perhaps you could say with complete confidence, it's okay, I've never done that to anyone at all. I've never declared anyone else off the, reser- the reservation. Well, good job you. Um, you are a wonderful and generous person. Um, but you still might do a Peter. You might act in a way that makes others think they're off the reservation. You might make others feel the pressure to act in a particular way. And that's Paul's point here. How we act matters as well as what we believe, because people are watching how we act, and it might say something we don't believe. Peter didn't believe that there was any issue in eating with the Gentiles, but what he was saying with his actions was undermining the truth of the gospel. Have you ever had someone around you who makes you more critical? Ever had someone around you who, when they're they're with you, when you know they're in the room, you're, you're more likely to pick on somebody else's actions or words and say, I just... They really don't think very carefully about how they do that, do they? Have you been more likely to call others offside with God or act like they're dodgy? Yeah, they are a bit dodgy. They're a bit loose. So you've got to keep your distance. I I know this happens to me. I feel the pressure, right? I get powerful friends. I get influential people. And I'm like, I really need to kind of line up with them a bit more. So let me speak a little bit more negatively than I would otherwise. Let me keep my distance a little bit further. When I'm doing that, I'm in the same place. Because when I, when I act and speak judgment over things that are not the heart of the gospel, it is the gospel that's at stake. I'm not saying there's no right and wrong, right? That there are no lines, that people can do whatever they like and we shouldn't worry about it. There's no better or worse with any of these things. Just that, they don't undermine the foundational truth of the gospel. 
people with different positions on these issues are not offside with God because a person is not justified by the works of the law or by their theological positions or by the way they do church. People are not justified by the way they do church. We are all alike justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is what needs to unite us. That's why we talk a lot at Hope City about something called theological generosity. It's important to us as a church. We truly want to keep all these secondary things as secondary for the sake of the gospel. We want to be able to work together well as a diverse group. As a diverse church here at Hope City, we've got different views in the room every single week. But we want to be able to work together with other churches who have diverse views as well. We don't want to look down our nose at other people or judge one another. To be able to work well together with churches in other diverse streams, we have to not call any of these secondary things primary. They're not a must-do, a must-have, a must-believe. That's the culture we want to create. The only thing you must believe is that you are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing. So we want to choose to act like that as a church. I want to encourage you to act like that as individuals. So important, not just what you say, not just what you think, but even the things that you do can undermine the truth of the gospel. Difficult to do this well. So I'm going to pray for God's help. Look, I really want to keep the main thing the main thing. And remember that we are justified only by faith in Jesus Christ and that the works of the law, any works, are not going to justify anybody. Help us to know that and believe it in our hearts and just live in that glorious freedom of being justified by faith in you and not needing anything else. Help us to speak about that and be bold to um, share this truth. Help us act like it's true. Help us, particularly when it comes to these secondary things that can so get up our noses. People can do things that we just think are stupid or annoying. People can do things we think are obviously wrong. Help us to remember that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And none of those other things fundamentally matter. Oh, Lord, grant us this sort of faith and grace. Might we be a church filled with um, this humility Um, that comes from recognizing our own weaknesses and comes from recognizing the greatness of your gift and your grace. Amen. I don't know what's next. How funny is that?